Hello and welcome to the Royals Investment Fund Podcast, where we meet with professors, experts, and professionals in the business and investing world. We are here to bring you insight into these success stories of individuals through their careers, investment choices, and recommendations. This podcast was specifically designed to help business students as they start their journey into the business world. I'm your host, Tony Harris. Now let's get started. Thank you for joining us on the second Royals Investment Fund podcast. Due to COVID-19, we are still out of the studio, so our quality will not be the highest it can be. We are hoping to return to the studio shortly, but for now, please forgive us and enjoy the podcast. Today, I would like to introduce someone that I can personally call my friend. Carter Wetzel is a standout student at Bethel University, studying both computer science as well as finance. Carter has spent an immense amount of time studying both blockchain and cryptocurrency. He is here today to talk to us about his research and his findings, and what the future of both blockchain and cryptocurrency will look like. Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tony. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on on here tonight. Awesome. Well, hey, I just want to plug for you real quick, dude. You got a book coming out, Mm -hmm. Building Confidence in Blockchain. Investing in cryptocurrency and a decentralized future, which is coming out in July. I've already mm-hmm. pre-ordered and I know that they've already sold out. So that's yep. congratulations. Thank you. Just give us a, a, a brief summary. What's the, what's the author's overview of the book here? So if I had to get a, give an author's overview of the book, I would say I'm really trying to tackle two main topics. I'm trying to give people a topical understanding of what blockchain is, um, the attributes of it that make it valuable. Um, talk about how it came to be in particular, a lot of the founders, a lot of the technology that made it possible. I really dive into use cases because so many people out there are like, all right, maybe I understand blockchain, but where the heck is it actually being used in the real world? So I really dive in on use cases. Um, and from there I start to examine, uh, cryptocurrency as an investment. Uh, we look at it from a qualitative perspective, a quantitative perspective, I'm really excited for people to take a look at the qualitative analysis because as far as I know, uh, no one out there is doing um, what I'm presenting with qualitative analysis in the space. So that should be not, it is groundbreaking stuff. Um, And then we just talk about uh, taxation regulation, how that's evolved the last four years because it has evolved quite a bit the last four years. So um, yeah, that, that's quick of a topical rundown of what the book covers. I would say right there covers a lot of ground. Fantastic. And as soon as I get it, I'm reading it. No question about that. Um, And for all the listeners out there, you know, if you have more of an interest after listening to what we talk about today, I highly encourage you to go look at this. Um, As Carter mentioned, it's been two years in the making. It's going to be a wonderful book. I know that for a fact. Um, And I'm very excited to read it myself. So Mm -hmm. Carter, can you explain to the listeners what, what exactly is blockchain? Yeah, that is, that is the question everyone has at the very beginning of examining blockchain. Um, and so to tackle that question, um, I'm going to start by beginning with the problem. Because if we don't understand the problem that is being solved, you know, a paragraph definition of blockchain becomes entirely useless, right? I can just spit something at you, but it's not going to make a lot of sense unless we start um, with the problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind this and we're going to talk about a ledger. Um, One thing I found while researching my book, Building Confidence in Blockchain, was that a fundamental reason people have a hard time grasping what blockchain is, 
was due to the fact that we operate within a single ledger paradigm. Um, that is to say, people like you and me, Tony, all we kind of think about is our own bank account, right? Like if I go to the gas station and purchase, say, a Diet Coke using a credit card, um, we don't really think about all the steps and all the parties involved. It's really, it feels like it's one-to-one, -one, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of different ledgers that have to be reconciled. You have the credit card, you have your two bank accounts that are okaying the transaction. You have the two people right there having to trust each other with that transaction. Um, so overall, you have to get approval from multiple parties along the value chain in order to achieve what should be a very simple task involving your own money. Um, so yeah, like we, we only really think about money with our single ledger paradigm and even, even think about like your bank account, let's say $5,000, you know, the average person, they open up their bank account, they see that number and they, they don't see it as the sum of all of their transactions right? That $5,000 that's sitting there is a result of hundreds of different transactions. Um, and that your ledger really exists within an ecosystem of ledgers. Um, and so this is the starting point. This is the way in order to kind of tackle blockchain, we have to start viewing the world as hundreds of different ledgers that are constantly reconciling and balancing with each other. Um, and the important part, the very important part is that these ledgers are centralized. Um, centralized in terms of authorization and ownership. Uh, this isn't just true for banks. This is true for any mass data system. Um, databases are merely ledgers of data instead of ledgers of dollar, dollars. Um, Facebook servers, Twitter, eBay, Amazon, all of these are kind of centralized ledgers that are intermediaries that facilitate transactions between two parties. So just topical view again, we have some ledgers are more important than others and some ledgers you don't have control of. Um, and to be honest, when ledgers are centralized, uh, when they're in control of lots of different people's um, dollars and, um, and data, it introduced the risk of man manipulation. Um, it's why we have accountants and audits all the time, which is quite expensive. Um, and come to find out reconciling disputes between two centralized ledgers, like let's say, Amazon and uh, like eBay had some huge disagreement. I don't know how they would cross over, but let's just say two very large centralized ledgers, perhaps between banks contradicted each other. Super expensive to reconcile. Um, the Center for Economic Policy Research has a quote where they said that duplicate and post-trade processing that banks, brokerages, custodians and clearinghouses undertake, um, one of the most expensive costs is reconciling multiple ledgers and that's, that cost is ultimately in the form of trust. Um, centralized players don't like trusting each other. Um, the whole system is kind of built on this shaky system of trust. So this is how I bring it back to blockchain. We've talked about centralized ledgers, kind of talked about how our world functions right now. Um, but what if there was a way to be truly peer-to-peer -peer between me and you, Tony, without any sort of human third-party intermediary slowing down and sucking up value along the value chain. Because if I wanna transact with you, there's all these other third parties along the way that exist to facilitate that, but they kind of suck up value along the way. What if you and I truly controlled our accounts? If I didn't have to ask permission from a bank to do something with my own money, or if a business didn't have to ask permission and go through an entire process for businesses to transact with each other. What if there was a system backed by mathematics and cryptography that everyone can trust as the facilitator of transactions in an entirely automated fashion. 
that we can all look at and know that it's secured, it's auditable, and it's permanent. And so that's what blockchain does. It flips this entire centralized paradigm on its head. It, it decides to have a system where we can actually be peer-to-peer. -peer. And so this is where I bring in the definition of blockchain, my own definition. I mean, I suppose this is a, this is a conglomeration of many. This is, my, this is my best shot at describing it. Blockchain is a decentralized ledger of transactions, accounts, and data secured by a decentralized ownership of the ledger where mathematics and cryptography are the digital laws of the ledger. So if I just break that down really quick, um, decentralized ownership, no single one person owns the ledger. Everyone owns the same exact version of the ledger. That's that redundancy that makes it hard for one party to go in and make a change to the ledger that could be nefarious because we have cryptography and we have programming that's cross-checking to make sure no one breaks the rules like that. Um, and that's the beauty is we, with cryptocurrency, with blockchain, instead of a third party, instead of having to trust a bank or something else, we can stay, instead say, hey, I'm trusting cryptography and mathematics, which I know are not going to fail me because they are perfectly neutral. Mathematics is perfectly neutral. Um, and that's the really cool part is we have decentralized ownership of the ledger and it's maintained with things that we can, it's guaranteed to, that we can trust super easily. It's trustless trust at the end of the day. Um, and the maintenance and the use of this shared ledger, um, because blockchain and decentralized ledger um, are more and more being swapped with each other. And blockchain is kind of a confusing term. And there's a couple of reasons why that was used at the very beginning. But more and more, you're just going to hear the term decentralized ledger in place of blockchain. Um, but the maintenance and use of this shared ledger, this decentralized ledger, is made possible within the ecosystem using digital cryptocurrency as the medium of exchange. And that cryptocurrency is simultaneously the incentive for those who maintain the ledger. And that's where cryptocurrency comes into the picture. It's like you have this baseline technology that allows all these transactions in a really safe and secure manner. Um, and cryptocurrency is that medium of exchange. It's also... Um, the incentive for those who maintain the network because they earn cryptocurrency by securing the network. And that's a really cool, I don't want to dive too deep down into the weeds. The book will brush the surface of it to the, to the best of its ability without making things too convoluted. Um, so instead of trusting a chain of centralized parties to back up, update, and verify your own transactions and your own wealth, we instead trust publicly visible coded protocols to manage and maintain our transactions. Um, and these, these rules that we make for this ledger that everyone's using, um, they're made up by decentralized communities. It's not one single party that has come up with these rules. Um, and once those rules are built into this protocol, it's insanely difficult to change them. It's very, very permanent. Um, and so it, it creates a high degree of trust. So I'm going to take a step back here. What does this look like tangibly? I'll tell you what it looks like tangibly. I have right now, I have a secure crypto wallet in my browser on my desktop. I am like two clicks away from opening up my cryptocurrency wallet. I also have an app on my phone that I have cryptocurrency on. Um, and that user interface, that user interface for that wallet is no different than Venmo. I can interact with websites that are integrated in blockchain. I can play apps and games, taking advantage of the properties of blockchain. I can send money anywhere to anyone in the world at any time. 
peer-to-peer, which I promise you, as the international economy becomes more integrated, this will become more important. Um, remittance fees grew to $600 billion in 2018. Um, fees for cross-border payments have stabilized around 7.5%, which is extremely profitable point for the banks. Um, a 7.5% remittance fee, that, that's absurd. I could send a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin for a couple of pennies. Good luck doing that with the US dollar. Um, and so, at, and like other things, like you might be like, okay, so you've given this ideal blockchain it has these cool properties. What does that look like tangibly? Describe the fact that, yeah, I'm two clicks away from doing all these things. I can use, de- I, like right now on my browser, I can go and interact with the decentralized exchange. Picture a stock exchange, but instead of a uh, stock exchange being represented by a human party, it's out there, hosted on the blockchain. No one can really mess with it. Anyone can interact with it. I can exchange with anyone through this decentralized exchange. I can take out collateralized loans in a moment. No paperwork, nothing, simply because my wallet's integrated onto the blockchain. I can partake in derivative markets in a couple of seconds. I'm a couple of clicks away from doing that if I wanted. Once again, no paperwork. It's because my wallet's integrated into the blockchain that has all of these apps hosted on them. I can purchase from traditional stores with crypto. Over 16,000 vendors globally accept cryptocurrency, including Wikipedia, Microsoft, Expedia, AT&T. I can digitally tip an author of an article I like, and the list goes on. All of it's seamless. When blockchain gets fully integrated into our society, the way you navigate the world isn't necessarily going to change at all. You'll still open up your browser. You'll still have your phone apps. What's different is the degree of freedom and functionality you have by simply having a wallet integrated with all these things on blockchain. Anyone can start, zero paperwork. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Anyone, anyone, in, any, anyone anywhere in the world with an internet connection is able to partake in an entire ecosystem. Um, and that's, that, to me, that's incredible. I, I've made over 600 cryptocurrency transactions. So for me, Using Venmo feels more alien than opening up my MetaMask cryptocurrency wallet and making a transaction. And, and I think one day, um, as blockchain becomes more integrated, people aren't going to notice the shift. They're not going to notice the change. It's just going to happen in the background. The infrastructure is going to be swapped out. And you're going to end up with a lot more functionality that you never, uh, that you never had before. So, Carter, uh, great explanation. Now, There's a lot of talk about cryptocurrency, and I know that this overlaps and relates to blockchain, but why would I want to use cryptocurrency instead of my country's standardized currency that we're using right now? Sure. That's a, that's an amazing question. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to pose you a question, Tony. I'm going to throw this one right back at you. Um, A simple thought experiment. How much would you say a dollar today is worth compared to 1917 exponentially less i mean it's it's not even it's not even a comparison sure and that's uh that's a much i will tell you that's a much more informed answer than the majority of people um the dollar in 1913 had the same buying power as 26 dollars in 2020 which can be a little deceptive so i'll reframe your $1 today is only worth three cents in comparison to the dollar from 1913. The, the dollar, or 1917, the dollar has lost 97% of its value because of inflation since 1917. Um, and so when you ask the question, you know, like, why would I use cryptocurrency versus standardized country currency? 
Uh, I'm going to go back to Carl Menger on this one. He was a great economist. Uh, he tackled the question of value in, in the late 1800s. And one thing he said is, um, I believe it was, when anything, whether of the material sort or not, has both desiredness and scarcity, it then has value for any person who concerns himself with it from a binary perspective. Um, so starting with scarcity, if we make that comparison between the U.S. dollar um, and cryptocurrency, that's the, that's, that's the huge value proposition right from the get-go. There is a fixed amount of cryptocurrency. The, in, the monetary policy of cryptocurrency cannot be modified, essentially. It's extremely difficult to do so. And so everyone can know, all right, there's 21 Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency. Hopefully most people know about that. That exists. And it's never going to be more than that. The, the rules have been etched into that ledger. We will always have 21 million. Not one more, not one less. No central reserve bank. And so that is, that is the first piece. So like, why would you own, you know, a cryptocurrency versus the dollar? Um, and part of that is guaranteed scarcity. Um, and, if, and if we're going based off of Carl Menger's definition, that's, that's a huge deal. Um, now, let's think about this in terms of desiredness, because we, we could talk about scarcity for a while, um, but there's a, there's a great quote from Chris Dixon. He's a venture, he's a venture stage investor at, I believe it's Anderson Howitz, um, Horowitz, that's what it was, Anderson Howitz. He said, there are three eras of currency, three eras of currency, uh, commodity-based, politically-based, and now math-based. Um, and, and this is where I think uh, there's a big deal um, because when it, when it comes to currency, it always comes back to transparent, transparency and trust. Um, the reason I will personally take cryptocurrency over a U.S. dollar is because I trust mathematics and publicly vis visible monetary policies more than I do the Federal Reserve. And, and that isn't to say the Fed hasn't done a great job. They, I mean, over the course of history, they have done an amazing job managing um, the United States economy. It just simply means people like you and me don't get to understand how many dollars are in circulation. We don't get to really understand the justification for the Federal Reserve strategy. We're just kind of along for the ride and hoping that our, our dollars and the value of it doesn't just fall away to the wayside because of those decision makers. So for me, I trust transparency more than anything. And so that's why cryptocurrency, why cryptocurrency versus a sovereign currency, that's the first one. Um, and I would say in terms of desiredness, um, the use, how, how many use cases there are for cryptocurrency um, will be more than a greenback one day. Like a greenback is actually quite limited in what it's capable of because it has, a U.S. greenback has to have the assistance of countless intermediaries to accomplish what we want it to accomplish in transactions. Cryptocurrency instead is aided by all these different protocols and programs that are neutral. And so that makes it more desirable as a currency in the long run because it's capable of more with less. Um, some other fun facts I like to throw out there about scarcity, I'll move on to the next question quick. Um, but 8% of the entire US, United States mo uh, money supply exists in its physical form. So 92% of US dollars are entirely digital. So I guarantee you in the next couple of decades, there won't be fiat currency in physical form. Everything's going to be digital. There's no doubt everything's going to be digital. Um, the question is, what properties of a currency 
are more attractive than others. That's, that's what it really comes down to. So I would say the properties of blockchain make cryptocurrency as a currency more desirable than fiat currency. Just briefly going off of that, do you think that cryptocurrency will be the currency of the future? Decentralized technology that enables cryptocurrency is the exact antithesis of those who believe in central control of technology and monetary policy. Um, you have people in Congress that are terrified of it. You, you have the Donald Trumps of the world tweeting about it. You also have other people that are like, no, like this is innovation. This is a better form of currency, a better form of technology. We need to be there and regulate it, but don't destroy it. Don't, don't stop innovation. Cause if you're going to stop it in the U S it's just going to pop up other places because superior technology will win out in the long run. Um, and so do I think cryptocurrency will be the currency of the future? I think there's room for both sovereign currencies and for cryptocurrencies. Um, and I know this, and I, and I, and I truly believe it's the currency, one of the currencies of the future um, because, you know, we have the Amazons of the world rolling out enterprise blockchain solutions. So are, so is IBM. So, so, so is Deloitte. Like even the biggest players in the world understand the cost of trust and because blockchain as a technology can make their businesses more efficient, they understand that. Even if simultaneously blockchain can represent an existential threat to them as companies in some ways, they still understand that it needs to be embraced. So I think there's going to be those who embrace it, those who don't. Um, I don't, I 100% believe digital currency is the future and I believe cryptocurrency is a part of that. So Carter, what do you, what do you say to those um, that think about cryptocurrency and basically say that it's not going to succeed because it's not backed by anything. That's a big sure. argument that I've heard. And I, I kind of want, I want your take on that. Yeah. I mean, that's um, the value of a currency is tied to its ability to maintain its relative value over time without depreciating. Right. I mean, that's, that's fundamentally what it comes down to. Um, and that value retention has to involve a large number of parties, right? So if, if you think about the US dollar, if everyone decided tomorrow, you know, we're done using it, then yeah, it doesn't have value anymore. Uh, if more people tomorrow decide, you know, I, I believe in the Euro more, I, I wanna have more Euros, um, that's gonna become a more, more valuable currency. Um, and so for me, I think cryptocurrency and its value just as with any other currency is tied to adoption. It's a tied, it's tied to trust. Um, and we could, I could dive into the deep end about the dollar and what its value comes from. Cause technically, I mean, and actually I discussed that in the book, I'm not going to go there, but cryptocurrency as a whole, yes, adoption and trust are critical to it. Just like any other currency. There's no debate about that. Everyone decided tomorrow, yeah, cryptocurrency and the utility provided by blockchain, even if it's superior in many different ways. Yeah, we, we don't trust that. We don't want it. Yeah. Then it's technically not backed by anything because every currency is backed by adoption and trust of it. Now things get a little confusing because the United States have actually classified cryptocurrency in, into three different categories. Uh, in 2020, there's the, there's, it's called the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020. They're trying to outline um, crypto 
and there's three categories. There's cryptocurrencies, crypto commodities, crypto securities. And so even within these hundreds of cryptocurrencies that exist, um, the commodities future trading um, the commodities futures trading commission, the SEC, uh, the treasury department, they understand that there's actually a wide range. So a crypto commodity does have intrinsic value that that value is the cost of electricity. Not going to go into the deep end there. Um, crypto securities are just more like a business. Cryptocurrencies are the ones that are actually trying to be 100% a currency. Um, so it's, it's a convoluted discussion. Um, but to answer your question, is cryptocurrency not backed by anything? It's backed by how much people value the attributes enabled by blockchain. All right. So to wrap up here, typically I ask uh, the professionals that we're working with, you know, if, if you could go back talk to your 20, 21 year old <laughs> self, you know, give them some advice. What sure. would you have wanted to hear? All that kind of stuff. We're 21 years old. So I'm going to flip the question. If you could look 30 years down the road, where do you want to be? And what do you want to be known for? I'll start with what I want to be known for. <laughs> I want to be known as someone that was willing to take risks, was willing to try new things. Um, and was did everything in my power to be on the cutting edge of innovation and educating people on, on what that looks like. Um, I'm, I'm just so passionate about technologies that change our world that, you know, are in line with my, my Christian values. And I want to continue down that path of promoting and building and working with amazing people, uh, to continue to build value for a lot of people's lives. Um, what do I want to, like, where do I want to be? What do I, what do I want to, what do I want to be doing? I think if any 21 year old pauses and said, where am I going to be in 30 years? I mean, what in a, it feels like an absurd question. I, I think if I would have talked to, you know, 16 year old me, I wouldn't have expected I'd be where I am now. Um, but where, where I want to be is a part of an organization or a company that I am proud to be on the forefront promoting and, and building out. Yeah. I, I, I want, I want to be with an organization that I'm passionate about, which, you know, that's everyone's dream. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Wonderful. Now you've heard some insight firsthand from Carter Wetzel. I encourage you to go check out his new book, Building Confidence in Blockchain, Investing in Cryptocurrency and a Decentralized Future. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and stay tuned for more. I'm your host, Tony Harris, and thank you for listening to the Royals Investment Fund podcast.